media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can open your Bibles to to 2 Corinthians. We're going to get to chapter 12 in a little bit. Somebody mentioned uh, last week afterwards, he said, you know, you seems like you're pretty emotional about this whole parenting series. And I quickly agreed with them. Out of all the different calls of life and all the different things, one of the greatest blessings is, is, is to be able to have children and, and then the grandparenting. Welcome to the club, Brian and Alicia. It's really cool. And yet it does bring this... Uh, you know, what was in our DNA, our fiber of our being that, that God put there in the very beginning? This, this great responsibility. This responsibility to, to grow up our children well. I, I asked, uh, Brian this morning, I asked Carly and Cretia, and I said, you know, does this really fit or not? Because I don't want to offend. <laughs> My purpose is not to offend, but I do want to point out sometimes where we're lacking. You know, we keep on talking about living, growing our kids up in the gospel. Uh, and yet, there's a lot of different gospels out there today, guys. And uh, Have you heard of the prosperity gospel? You know, that God loves you so much, he just wants to bless you and bless you and bless you. And, and there's truth in that God is a God of great, great blessing, okay? And yet, at the same time, there's this truth that... Uh, Jesus has called us to, to suffer the, for the gospel into a life of suffering, to join him in his sufferings. John, Peter, and Paul, everyone, and not the Beatles, but John, Peter, and Paul, you know, those writers in the New Testament, they all said what a blessing it was to be joining Christ in the suffering. And, and to be real, real honest, guys, we don't do a lot of Christian suffering. We may do have some suffering, Sometimes because of our own wrong decisions, other times because we just live in a broken world. But we don't do a lot of suffering just for the sake of Christ. And yet, they saw it as a blessing. And I mentioned the prosperity gospel because in one way, and this is why I don't want to be offensive, I just want to be truthful about our approach. Sometimes I think that why we might not believe in the prosperity gospel in this sense that it's out there today, as parents sometimes we do. We're challenged that we just want this our kids to be blessed and prosper and protected and just good things happen to them. See, every fiber of my being, I just want, I mean, my kids this week, they, they, uh, you know, they moved to South Carolina, a new ministry, and uh, they've been trying to find a house and one after another, just complication, complication, finally got a house and then the interest rates start, you know, getting up there and, and so every fire my being is, okay, find the perfect house. Let somebody come along and say, okay, you can just kind of take on our 2.5 interest rate, which didn't happen. Uh, you know, and all these things, you just want that. Is it wrong to want blessings for your children? No. And yet, is life going to be filled with nothing but just blessings and no challenges? And the answer to that one is no. Not trying to offend you this morning by saying there's a part of us that wants this prosperity gospel just for our kids, okay? In that sense that we just want blessings. This is probably the hardest of the four lessons that we're looking at because it goes against the way that we're wired up. Every parent that I know, 
desires for their kids to have success and blessing, to make the team, to have the lead part, to, to see our children's dreams fulfilled. It brings us so much joy when we see that. But one problem, and, and this is a really big problem, guys, is that it's not going to happen in every situation. They're not always going to make the team. They're not always going to get the lead part. They may not even get a part at all. And as wonderful as our kids is, and as much as we want to kind of aspire for those things to kind of fall into place, there's going to be times that they're going to be challenged in life, sometimes because of their own decisions and their own, you know, consequences. Remember the, the first lesson? Choices have consequences. And, and that we can kind of take. Okay, bad decision. Hopefully they learn from it. But what about when they've done all the seemingly right things and it still doesn't work out? That happens a lot in this world. And so how do we address that from a gospel perspective, through not just a spiritual perspective, but a gospel perspective? How do we live out lives when when we in our own hearts have that same fear, we have that same disappointment, maybe even times anger, like, God, why did you let that happen? Remember the three questions that always come up? you've been around CS for a while, we kind of know this. Why me? Why this? Why now? And this is part of life in a fallen world, in a broken world, with our own brokenness. And yet, even though we know and acknowledge that those things happen, it's really, really difficult when we see that happen in our children's lives. There are times of suffering that comes into our children's lives totally independent of their skills and abilities, totally independent if they made the right choice or the wrong choice. It's kind of the lesson that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most famous sermons ever. And Jesus is preaching through. And if you went to your Bibles, you would be able to see there in the in the early parts of that sermon in Matthew, you know, chapter 5, chapter 6. And it's all in red because it's all the sermon. And near the end of the sermon... He says this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, he'd been talking for a long time. And and what the whole Sermon on the Mount basically was about is he was drawing a line. This is what real Christianity looks like. Because a lot of people were starting to follow Christ and they recognized that he was very much different from all the other rabbis. And so they were kind of following along. And Jesus actually comes off and he, he actually kind of draws a line and says, okay, this is what real Christianity looks like. Uh, know before you say that you're going to be a follower that this is the cost of fellowship. And so it wasn't kind of a pat on the back, hey, feel good about yourself kind of sermon at all. It was no, here's the high call of God in our lives. He was honest with them. And so he comes to this place, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rock being himself and, and these truths, these, these words of mine. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been found on the rock. And so he brings in a principle at that, that point and talks about, okay, this is when you do these things, when you follow what I've told you, you're still going to have storms in life, but you're not going to fall. Why? Because I'm going to give you strength. You're built upon the rock, him being the rock, his truth, his word being the rock. 
Now look at verse 26 and 27. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. From every indication that what Jesus is saying here, it wasn't, okay, all the people that made right choices in their life, they didn't have any storms of life. We, we don't see that here. We don't see any indication whatsoever that these, that the rain and the wind and, and all these storms of life came because of sinfulness. Now the distinction that he's making isn't, hey, wise people always make the right choices and don't have these consequences, and foolish people make wrong choices and they end up with these consequences. That's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying, no, even the wise and, and the foolish Everybody's going to have storms in life. What makes you wise or separates you from those that are foolish is where do you put your faith in the midst of those storms? Do you, do you see that? I, I want to make sure that we don't see, hey, he had storms because he made wrong decisions. I mean, that can be a biblical truth, but it's not this truth. It's not what he's trying to demonstrate here. That, that would go back two weeks. Hey, choices have consequences. And we could go on for a long time about the reaping and sowing like we did two weeks ago. That's not the principle that he's putting off here. What he's saying is storms in life are going to come. And what separates those wise people from foolish people is where do they build their house? It's a hard subject because we're so pre-wired to protect our kids from failure and suffering. We naturally want to throw pillows underneath their falls. We want to follow them around with these pillows. And when we see that something's going to happen, there we sling one. There we sling one. And that makes sense. I mean, if you have a toddler and you have a fireplace and it's all brick and that little cushion that you put across the front, that makes sense. That's wise. The problem is, are we going to be able to do that for the rest of our lives? There's a time and a place that we really do have this sense of not only physical protection, but emotional protection and, and spiritual protection of our kids. And we want to throw all these pillows out there to protect them. And yet, would you agree that that's kind of impossible to do? I mean, can you imagine the mom or dad? The kid's 23. <laughs> Still trying to throw all these pillows out in line. The nature is there. The opportunity and the practicality of that is not there. And so how does the Bible instruct us then to teach a faith to our kids about how to deal with suffering and to actually suffer well? Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12 if you haven't done so. And, and the context of this is a little bit different. The Apostle Paul has been questioned about his apostleship and and so if you went back to chapter 11, you'd be, uh, he's kind of making a case that God has called him. The beginning parts of chapter 12, he's talking about a vision that God had given him. And he's not saying that so much to approve his apostleship. He's just saying that because he wants them to know these are the things that God has done in his life. And so we see verses 3 and 4 there. And he's not trying to boast about it because he even talks in the third person. He says, I know that this man was called up into paradise. Who is this man? Anybody know? 
It's Paul himself. He just doesn't say, and I was. He's talking to the third person because he really doesn't want to bring attention and, and glory to himself because God showed him a vision. No, he, he's been questioned about his apostleship. He, in one way, he's trying to verify it, but he's trying to do it not through his own accomplishments. And so he says, I know this man who was called up into the paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In other words, God showed him some things that were quite miraculous. I think Paul had as many as six different visions, and, and this is one of them. And, and he would say that this is like the, the high point. So in one way, Paul was describing a spiritual high in his life. I mean, if God took you off and showed you a vision, and it was above and beyond anything that you could ever imagine, that's basically the, some of the wording that Paul uses here. And, and so he goes off this great spiritual high, and, and all of a sudden, he has this spiritual low. Because Paul begins to talk about how he had a thorn in the flesh. When we think about a thorn in the flesh, you've probably heard this passage before, and sometimes we think maybe of a rose bush. And, you know, how have you ever been cutting your roses and you get a thorn and it hurts? Well, the Greek word here isn't just like a little tiny thorn. It's actually the word for steak, not like a steak that you eat, but S-T-A-K-E, like a steak that you drive into the ground. So all of a sudden, Paul, in the midst of this blessing, has this great encumbrance upon his life, this, this great, you know, hurt in his life, this great suffering in his life. And it's one of those things that it kind of, I don't know that it confused him, but he, he starts to pray against it. Let me ask you two important questions here. Is, is God a good, good father? Best father you could ever imagine. Probably even more important question, based on that answer of his character, could God keep all suffering, not only from your children, but from you? Could he do that? Yeah. Certainly has that power and that ability. Then the natural question that comes from that, if we're just thinking people, if we're just logical people, okay, God, if you love me and you have the ability to take all suffering away, why don't you? I mean, is that a logical kind of conclusion that we would equate God's love with removing suffering from our life? Because if you don't see the logic of that this morning, I promise you there's going to be a time in your life that you are going to see, at least ask that logical question that seems logical to you, but it needs the gospel to be able to come in and say, okay, God is operating on a different logic than human logic. Do you think that God actually operates on a logic that is different from human logic? He says so in his word. My ways are not your ways. And yet how many times have we played that God's way would be our way? I mean, have you honestly prayed that before? Sincerely? Honestly? Why me? Why this? Why now? Look at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of this surpassing greatness of the revelations, he's talking about that vision. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
He has this great spiritual high. God shows him something that probably is only, Paul's the only one who's ever seen that. And, 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 and he begins to experience this high. And he said, so that I would not become conceited. Think more highly of myself than I need to. God gave me a, a, a thorn in the flesh. He says, he attributes it here to Satan. But God, if we really believe in a sovereign God, God's allowing it, just like in the case of Job. But did God have purpose? How hard it is, guys, for us as loving parents, grandparents, for God to work his purposes in the lives of our children or grandchildren. Agree? I mean, we can be so spiritual. I mean, we sing that second song that we sing today, Ricky. God, we don't want blessings. We just want you. Well, last Tuesday, maybe we wanted some blessings. <laughs> if God was involved in that, great. It's so easy to sing about our faith. It's really hard to live this faith out, guys. And without the power of God's word, as Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount, if you don't build upon these truths... We're going to end up foolish. And not without grace, not without forgiveness, not without redemption. It just practically, there's going to be a lot of times that we're not going to be carried through kind of some of those things in the way that God wanted us to be carried through simply because we trust Him. So what are three different things that we're going to pull out of the verses this morning that I believe that are here? We're not having to pull them out, but to demonstrate. The first one is suffering teaches us humility. As far as we can tell, Paul's thorn was not something that was done because of direct sin in his life. He doesn't say, because I really messed this up, because I lost my my you know, temper with this person, God gave me this thorn as a result. We don't see any of that. We've always speculated what the thorn is. I don't think it's important for us to know, but I'm still curious. Was it a physical thing? Was it an emotional thing? Was it a spiritual thing? Most people think physical in nature, but we don't know. And and I'll tell you, it's not really important for the truth of the gospel to come out here. But for the most part, I do think it's important for us to learn that sometimes suffering, thorns, stakes come into our life. And it wasn't even a direct result of this whole choices and consequences, this reaping and sowing. Sometimes it rains on the just and the unjust. Would you agree that the Bible kind of puts that out there? And yet God still allows this thorn to be present in his life. For 14 years, probably at the time of this writing, because he says 14 years ago, I had this vision. And a lot of people believe that he lived for about 13 more years. And so if you add 14 and 13, you have 27 years. And so could he have possibly lived with this thorn for 27 years? Again, we don't know an exact timetable. We get the 14 from what he said. Hey, 14 years ago, I had this vision. And nowhere do we see in Scripture where Paul says, today was the day. I've been praying for this thorn to be removed. And today was the day. And the thorn is gone. We never find that in the Scripture. Perhaps he has lived with this now for 20 plus years. 
And I think it's important to note that he does not tie it directly to a sin that he did in his life. Was he a sinner? Yes, he said he was the chief of all sinners. But but we're not taking this thorn, we're not taking this stake that was placed there, this hurt and suffering in his life because he just made a wrong choice and this was the consequence. Somehow that kind of makes more sense in our mind. That's where Carly and I are, are a little bit different sometimes. I, I asked her permission before. To, I, Carly loves so well that if she had an endless supply of pillows, <laughs> I think she's at least tempted to throw them out there. Even though this morning when I asked her about it, can I use that as an illustration? She says, no, I know that sometimes we have to learn the hard lessons. So I want to be perfectly balanced in reporting. But she has this tendency to where, when I was talking to Brian before, as guys were going, yeah, scrape knees. There's a lesson in that scrape. And some of that is just the difference between moms and dads and personalities. But for some reason... They sinned, and this was the result. Then we can go back to week one. Choices have consequences. It's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. He thought he had life all figured out. He's going out to do big things with his life. He asked for his dad's inheritance. He gets that. He goes off, and he finds out that life is really tough. And one of my favorite verses in that whole story is in Luke fifteen seventeen when he says that he came to his senses. You look in the Greek, kind of our best equivalent would be he came to his right thinking. And what was his right thinking? If you're familiar with that story, I've sinned and I need to go to my father. You see this, this story of redemption, you see the story that leads back. And so there's a part of us that when the wrong choices are made, we're going, okay, you know, kids, you're going to have to learn to, to, to work this out. But what about like in this case where there's a thorn and we can't tie it back to a direct sin? Paul, it seems as though God is teaching him about a connection between suffering and humility apart from direct sin, even though he's a sinner. And yet God had purpose in the thorn. And that was to keep him from being conceited. Or another way to put it, self-focused, self-inflating. Self-dependent. Now look at the next verse. Because even though that we, that we know that the hardship had some purpose, it doesn't mean that we're going to enjoy it. Look what he says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Uh, we don't know that, that it was really three times. January 7th, April 3rd, and October 22nd. We're not thinking that he means three times. I think that there was three times that he really pleaded, that he earnestly went before the Lord and said, will you, t- will you take this from me? And we don't have any indication that it was not taken. Question, was it wrong to pray for Paul to pray for the thorn to be removed? I don't think so. Is it wrong for us to, to pray for God? To remove hardships and difficulties and suffering from our kids' life? I don't think so. I, if so, I, I, I pray wrongly a lot. I don't know that it's wrong to pray, but, but I think that what God is trying to teach when he didn't remove that is that, again, that he had a purpose. 
And in this case, he begins to teach Paul about grace. Not only does suffering teach us humility, it teaches us grace. Look at verse 9. What's the first word of verse 9? But, and, and so it's taking this thought that he's, what he's about to say, and it's kind of comparing it to the thought that he just expressed, okay? I, I pleaded three times for this to be removed, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I, guys, I'm sorry for the emotion, but I think of my kids and my grandchildren, and I want them to know that his grace is sufficient. That his power is made perfect in our weakness. And yet I haven't swallowed that. I haven't embraced that in my own life. How do I leave a spiritual heritage when I'm doing everything I can, humanly speaking, to avoid suffering and pain and even getting angry at God when he does allow some suffering to come, even if he has a bigger purpose? The word sufficient means to be content. Literally, a word picture there in the Greek is to raise a wall. That God's grace raises a wall. That God's grace is sufficient. It means a contentment in the heart. And the challenge, the tug of war is going to be, okay, if God's purpose is to show grace to our children, to our own selves, and yet... Suffering hurts. Which one do we want more? A lack of pain and suffering? Or to find out that God is sufficient? Well, what's the greater lesson in life, guys? Well, what have you found in your own life? That God's a good God when he works out those medical tests when he gives you the job, when he does those things, those blessings that make life easier and more manageable? Or when life falls apart, either directly from your sin or or even indirectly from your direct sin, and yet he gives you the grace to be content because he wants to teach you and mature you. I mean, isn't that what James said? Consider it all joy. When you fall into these various trials, and then he lists this maturity that's going to happen. He never said, be happy about the suffering. What he said is, God's doing something, and the maturity that results is worth the pain. I'm just being real honest this morning. As a parent, as much as you may agree with that for your own life, do you agree with that when it's your children's life? When they're in the tug of war, what do I want, maturity or freedom from suffering? And I know where my human heart, and I especially know where my granddaddy's heart goes. And yet I want my children and my grandchildren to know the blessing of God's amazing grace. Not just for salvation, that is amazing grace, but to sustain us in every day until he calls us to heaven. Folks, grace is not just this singular grace, salvation, the grace that saved a sinner like me. I was once lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but that is grace. But there's another aspect of grace that we see in the Bible. In fact, many more. And one of those is the sustaining grace in maturing us in our Christian walk. Look at 
And in Romans 3 and Romans 7, when Paul's talking about the law, he said, Romans 3.20, For by works of the law, no human being is being justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Romans 7.7, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What he's saying is there was a purpose of God giving the law to expose something to us, our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Romans 3, 23, 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Salvation grace, amen. But my children and my grandchildren and me and my wife, I need sustaining grace every day. Do you need sustaining grace in your marriage? Let's just get personal. In your work life, in your thought life. If I go out and blow it tomorrow with Carly, I believe that I'm still secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in no way is that ever an excuse for sin, for me to mistreat her, for me to do anything like that. No, I need God's saving grace that's secure in the work of Christ. But I need a sustaining grace that is empowered by the resurrection of Christ. Think this morning. Guys, what is better? Answer this personally to yourself. What is better, for God to remove the thorn or for God to give grace to be content in the thorn? Isn't that a hard question? I'm just going to pick you out, Tracy, just because you're, you're sitting right there. That's a hard enough question for you personally, isn't it? And now if we ask that about you, oh my goodness. God, why did you make this so hard? I mean, would you agree? I don't want to put words in your mouth since I just, yeah. Isn't this hard? And yet if we really gospel oriented, if we were so sold out to the gospel and to the, the, the perfection of God and all of his workings, we know the answer to that. God, you can flip that suffering away in a second, but to make my son Whole in the gospel, in the face of suffering. Now that's amazing, God. God allows suffering in, in our children's life to teach humility, to teach grace. And the third one, to teach dependence. Look again at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see the word therefore? One of my favorite words in the Bible, because again, just like that word but, it, it connects two thoughts. Here's the truth of God, and here's the application for my life. That word, therefore, always is an action-based word that goes, okay, based upon what I know God has done, here's the high calling in my own life. And he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Just a little self-test. 
Have you ever noticed that the most growing parts of your Christian maturity have not been in the times that we would say were just, you know, overflow blessings as far as just worldly blessings and, and good times and all that? Isn't it amazing that if we look back and really charted our lives, that the most difficult times, the most challenging times in all of our lives, the times that we hit our needs before a holy God and said, God, help me, were in the valleys and the difficulties and the challenges. I found that I'm an amazing, amazingly spiritual man when difficulties are in my life, but especially when difficulties in the lives of my children. The best version of Bobby <laughs> or when my kids are hurting the worst. Because I'm coming before my God at that time and I'm pleading with him for the thorn to be removed and pleading for him to give grace so that they can know that he's able to raise a wall of contentment around them in the midst of their heartbreak. And that's the verse, I mean, that's the lesson learned here in this, this verse. Look at verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe in that spiritual truth? Was this just Paul because he's an apostle? And he's kind of like the top three? You know, New Testament Hall of Fame? Hey, Paul's got to be close to the top, right? Or is this a truth for you and I, trying to live out the gospel life? Secured in our salvation because of the grace of God that saved us, but also now dependent upon the grace of God every single day, especially in this challenging role of parent and grandparenting in a fallen and broken world. And that's why this is such a hard lesson to grasp. Because in order to, to have a legacy and, and to pass something on, it means you kind of have to have grasped it yourself. And how many of us kind of at least somewhat have grasped choices have consequences? That was an easy one. That, that was, as we say in sports, that was a softball. You know, to hit it out of the park. How many of you kind of grasped last week? Respect authority. And yet we got a little bit challenged last week. Well, what about the authority isn't who I like. But today we really get challenged. How do we live, leave a spiritual heritage, legacy? Where my kids and my grandkids could say, hey, even in the hardest days of his life, my daddy, my granddaddy, Entrusted himself to the grace and he depended on God. I want that to be my spiritual heritage. And yet if I'm honest, the only way that happens is if I truly, truly embrace whatever God has, even if it comes in the form of suffering, not only to me, but to my children and grandchildren. Do I trust my Father, my Heavenly Father, that much? And my prayer prayer today, God, I'm not there, but day by day, will you, will you get me there? That in the days that I have left, have influence over my children and grandchildren. 
Will you help me to live out the beauty of this gospel? There's an old saying that much more is caught than taught. Have you ever heard that before? In other words, what they see is much more than what we say. And that's my prayer today. You know, before we talked about the, the prosperity gospel, guys. Well, the prosperity gospel puts emphasis on how much God can bless us and prosper us and do all these things. The real gospel, the Bible says, join Christ in sufferings or, or to deal with sufferings in our own life in a way that we trust God implicitly, that he matures us and grows us. And that's my prayer for myself today. That's my prayer for you, that we would find sufficiency in Christ, Christ alone, that Christ is enough. Either we just say that verbally or we're going to, that's going to be the heartbeat of our life. That's the legacy that we are challenged to leave to our children and our grandchildren. Christ is enough. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Oh, this is so hard, Father. I feel somewhat of a, like a hypocrite today, Father, because I know your truth. I, I want to preach your truth. And yet, Father, if I had a magic wand of my own making, I, I would probably make 99% of the, the sufferings of my child's and grandchildren's lives go away. So, Father, I need maturity. I, I need to, to, to understand that you're working. And, Father, I'm still going to be praying for uh, the thorns to be gone. But Father, will you add to my prayer list the ability to trust you, trust you implicitly with, Father, with all that I am when you don't take the thorn away. For Father, I really do believe, I believe with all my heart, Father, maybe not with my actions yet, but with all my heart, that you are enough that you're working in ways I could never figure out and that you're always working for your glory and for our ultimate good. Father, I pray for the parents that have little ones and a lifetime before them. Father, I pray for the ones that are dealing with rebellion in, in their home right now. Father, I pray for the ones that are about to send some off to college. And I pray for every grandparent father in here that so desires to leave a legacy of how faithful you are. That, Father, every opportunity that they have, they would demonstrate your goodness, your grace. And the simple truth that Christ is enough, no matter what the cost. We love you. We thank you. Make us the people you've called us to be, Father. Empower us by your word, by your spirit. As we pray this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online 
at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.